Hey, I'm here at uh, Austin Game Developers Conference, and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is James Nance. I'm the project lead on Wizard 101. Um, I'm the live team lead. Uh, I was the lead designer during production. So. And what is Wizard 101? Wizard 101 is a, uh, a fantasy wizard-based uh, online game, massively multiplayer game. Um, we sort of combine the elements of of a Pokemon-style card game combat. Sure. Um, we have a lot of flavors of, uh, of the fantasy online, Harry Potter and, and uh, you know, Arthurian legends and all kinds of historical background, Merlin the Wizard and all that. Um, and we basically are targeting the, uh, you know, it's kind of 8 to 88 is our, is our target market. Our main demographic was kids. Yeah. Um, but we've found, you know, we've found since launch, we're a year out now, we've found that we've, we have a huge broad appeal. We've got, um, a bunch of adults have started playing the game. That was pretty cool. You know, we marketed mainly toward kids. The game is aimed at kids, real casual style, um, approachable graphics, and all that. Um, but the goal was to hit families, right? And so yeah. we got a lot of people who play the game with their kids, never played a game before, but they want to be involved in what the kids are doing online. They want to check out what the kids are interacting with, and they get hooked. So we end up with a lot of parents, too. Yeah, I noticed on your site, um, you know, you do have that specific uh, targeting also for parents. Are you having, I mean, have you looked into family MMO mechanics? Are you looking at uh, different game design mechanics in terms of um, how you get the parents to interact with the kids, or are you taking the traditional route where the parents are playing and then the kids are kind of there also with them playing also? You know, where it's just parents and kids at the same time instead of um, as far as game playing goes we didn't we didn't go too far down that road um, we've talked about uh, introducing basically a guild equivalent mechanic at some point that would have some uh, some gameplay around family accounts um, we do things that like we were able to share uh, loot drops between different different uh, characters on the same account because we kind of assume that brothers and sisters might be sharing the same account. Um, but most of that we concentrated on the account management level. We have a lot of parental controls in place. We have the ability to have a, kind of an umbrella account structure where we have a parental account, and then you have sub-accounts underneath it uh, for family members. So we really came at it from kind of a more of a parental management point of view rather than changing up the gameplay a lot because we know people have different schedules and things like that. But it's something we want to grow toward. Okay. Um, so while you're developing this game, when did you get started and what were some of the challenges that you encountered as you guys were developing this? Uh, it's, it's interesting. Um, kind of the core development team, myself, um, Todd Coleman, who's our creative director, and Joseph Hall, who's our development director, engineering director, we've worked together a long time. Uh, Todd and I have been friends since high school, and Joseph and Todd and I have been friends since college. This is our second MMO together, actually. We were, we were the developers on Shadowbane which was a, a crazy hardcore PvP game, so it was kind of a big, a big jump to go to a casual kids game. Uh, and before that, we had done commercial software. Um, we did database tools and things like that. And so we, you know, we'd, we'd sold our first company off, and we decided we want to make games. We all like games. We want to play games. We played MUDs back in the day. And so we are like, what the hell, let's make a game. And it turned out to be really, really hard. Sure. Um, so we learned a lot of lessons on Shadowbane, and we came back around and, and uh, sold this idea to our, our uh, CEO, and, and, uh, and uh, basically he loved the idea of doing a family-oriented company. You know, our, the vision there is to sort of be the Pixar of, of games. You know, we sure. do high-quality, family-fun entertainment, and we tie them all together. It's approachable to the kids and the adults. Um, 
but so the three of us kind of got together. Todd and Joseph came up with the idea. Joseph at the time was a parent and kind of said, hey, we should really aim this really at the kids' market. There's not a lot out there other than maybe Toontown was, was kind of around back then. Sure. Um, so that's where the core idea came from. And the development, I mean, there were a lot of risks involved. We knew kind of how to make a traditional MMO. Sure. But when you start doing things like putting in turn-based card game and really cinematic Final Fantasy-style combat, that's a lot of risk. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, you're aimed at kids, so you've got to have a lot of concern about who are the kids chatting with, what can they do, what can they not do, you know, are they able to give away their phone numbers and addresses and stuff online, so yeah. we had to deal with all those challenges. Um, but it basically started with, let's make a card game, and so we did a, a paper prototype, we actually made physical cards, Todd sketched horrible art onto little, you know, 5 by 9 cards, and uh, we just played the game. We rolled dice, we had little uh, pente pieces for health, and things like that and we just played the game until we iterated on it and you know if we didn't like the damage something did or the hit points something had we just erase it on the card and start over once we got the paper game to the point where we liked it Joseph developed a, a, what we called a 2d prototype it didn't have any 3d capability but it was basically 2d art with the card game that you could play against other people we connected into a server and you could chat basic capabilities and then once we iterated on that a few times, we added in an AI so you could fight against monsters and have teams. Sure. And it was really just a way to kind of nail down what the core game mechanic was. And once that was really, really fun, we started fleshing out the rest of the game systems. Uh, what language did you do the prototype in? Uh, it was all C, C++. And um, were there any other challenges when you were doing these prototypes? Um, were, there, were there any surprises? Did you have uh, kids come in and test it out, or how did that work? We actually, we did a lot of focus testing early on in the process. Everything from the art style to the, you know, the business model to the, uh, the card game itself. And we got a lot of feedback from kids and from parents and from families and, you know, single adults and all that. And we, we really just kind of incorporated that along the way. Um, there was one point where we, we probably had just a dozen concept sketches of a kid with a pet because we wanted to really oh, get yeah. the pet into it and we just kind of showed it to a ton of different people and let them vote on it, basically, and that's kind of, kind of how we went with our art style. Uh, you talked about business model. Uh, can you talk about um, how you experimented with that and uh, what were some of the considerations you were doing? Uh, I mean, you may have heard of Webkins at that time. I don't know if, you know, while you're developing this, all these huge kids hits came out of the blue, right? And, you know, how did that impact your development cycle and even your strategy? Yeah, right. I mean, that, that, that's totally true. I mean, when we started, kind of started down this road, we were traditional online gamers, which we were thinking subscription model is the way to go. It's got that nice recurring revenue model and all that. But then you start getting webkins coming out. You get, you know, RuneScape is oh, coming yeah, up. Yeah. You've got Club Penguin who, you know, got bought by Disney, uh, yeah. Disney for an obscene amount of money. So that really had to get our attention. And so we sort of debated a little bit whether to go with micropayments or go with subscriptions or whatever. And we basically decided to go with a hybrid approach. Um, and really, nobody had done that at that point. You know, uh, the idea of doing sort of a premium service for subscription and doing value add for micropayment is where we started. Uh, and that's actually, you know, we kind of came to that conclusion a little bit late in the dev cycle. And, uh, and our, our micropayment solution kind of suffered for that, actually. You know, it's, 
if you're going to put micropayments in, you really need to think about how it's going to impact the game, how you're going to present it to the user, sure. you know, how are they going to buy your little, you know, your money, yeah. how are they going to spend it, do they have to go to a shop or is it off the main HUD? You know, from a balance perspective, are you going to sell power in game or is it all cosmetic? There's a lot of considerations there. Yeah. And when you throw subscribers into the mix, who rightfully have you know sort of a sense of entitlement, they're 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 already paying for your game, so you know you got to be real careful how many other things you put in there for money um, that maybe they're not getting for their subscription. There's a lot you have to consider, and and um, like I said, we kind of came to that decision a little bit late. And so some of the mechanisms we used to present those micropayments were a little bit clumsy. And so now here we are a year later, we're having to go back and really polish that whole process. Um, we're putting in a new interface to purchase crowns and to spend crowns in the game. And uh, we're offering kind of new, new micropayment services. Um, we have rental items and things like that that you can buy now. Did you guys consider putting cards or other items in actual physical stores then? Actually, we, we did, and, and we've, uh, you know, putting a, a physical card game out in, in some capacity has been a dream of ours since the beginning. It's a sort of natural extension, and we've, we've mocked up a couple different versions in-house. We have one actually in development, and we're trying to figure out the, uh, the best way and sort of best time to launch it. Um, but, you know, everything we do supports the game, supports the brand. So anything we do is going to is going to feed back into the game. You know, if you, I think WoW has done a really good job with their card game and sort of sure. providing scratch offs. You know, we look at the way Sony came out with their card games and it was all virtual. You know, they've done a really compelling job in their games and, and sort of made that part of their core core focus is all their games will have a card game. So we we really like some of the things they've done and, and we will be coming out with a card game at some point. And, you know, while you were developing all this, you know, we mentioned Club Penguin, we mentioned Webkins, and then, you know, there's this onslaught of 200 or 300 virtual worlds for kids that were coming out. I mean, how do you guys stay focused? And, I mean, what does that do in terms of motivating you guys to either change technology or um, get your game out on a different time cycle? I mean, did, did that have any impact? Well, there were a couple things there. As far as the time cycle goes... We were, I don't know whether you call it lucky or smart. I mean, Todd and Joseph had a vision for Shadowbane, and they had a vision for this game, which was really forward-looking. I mean, just to jump back in time a little bit, when we started developing Shadowbane, EQ was in beta, and the only game that was out at that time was UO. And I, we all played UO when it came out. We had friends on the dev team. You know, I worked at Origin back in the day, so I knew a lot of people on the team. And we talked a lot, and you know, I was one of the dreadlords, you know, these horrible PvP griefers when it first came out. And by the time we started developing Shadowbane, they had really turned the corner in terms of wanting to push that kind of behavior out of their game. Sure. And so there was a huge kind of hearkening back to, man, we really like PvP, we really like dreadlords, we really like that kind of thing. And so Todd and Joseph and I really saw, man, there's a market here for people who want to go PvP and go do this kind of thing and you know if you're gonna and then EQ came out and they were real PvE focused there's no PvP and we thought man there's a real market here well they did the same thing with Wizard I mean there was one kids game out there of any of any consequence we didn't know at the time whether these browser based games were going to do anything whether they were going to catch on and their their tech level made for really 
rapid yeah. development, but at the same time, they're not quite as solid. I mean, it's it's not quite a full 3D game. There's not all the depth there. There's not all the storyline there. So for them to see kind of that market, I mean, now there's a ton of people getting the kids market. You got sure. Free Realms, and you've got Disney's put out two more games, and you've got you know Marvel's got a hero game coming. Everybody's getting the kids market. Yeah. But you know, four years ago, five years ago, nobody was looking at that, and so they really saw an opportunity there. But we did make the decision early on, we don't want to be a browser game. We want to be a real game, um, you know, real 3D environment, and tell a real story with lots of pretty graphics. And that caused a whole host of problems, sure. because you pretty much have to have a download at that point. Um, and our CEO, Elia Kilian, felt really strongly about going with digital distribution, and, you know, he really pushed on us the whole time. His bit from day one was, we're going to do a big commercial blast when we come out, and the kids need to see the commercial, go start the game, and by the time their show starts back up, the time by the time SpongeBob or whatever comes back on, they're already into the game. Yeah. And so we had, you know, our goal was to have a three to five minute window where we could get through registration, download the game, and start that process of getting them involved. And that was pretty tough for a, for a 3D game. And um, so once you released, how did you go about marketing? Um, uh, did you then do a commercial on Nickelodeon? Um, I mean, do you have any suggestions for other indie game developers who are, you know, who want to promote their own game? Because uh, you guys are growing, you know, and there are a lot of kids' MMOs that kind of just got released and nothing happened. You guys gained traction. It, it's, you know, there's not an easy answer. Um, when we started Wolfpack and did Shadowbane, we put our own money into that company. And we really bootstrapped that thing up and we sort of, you know, we got a little tiny office and we hired people and we were, you know, making payroll on our credit cards and all that. And we really pushed the viral marketing aspect and we had a lot, and it was easier to do back then because there were a lot more indie news sites, there were a lot more, you know, kind of hardcore fan sites out there than there are now. A lot of them have been pulled under the umbrella of bigger media groups. But honestly, we've been really, really lucky with this one because we have the freedom of being an indie studio, but our our owner, Elia Kilian, is really dedicated. He really wants to make this work and has a huge vision for where the company's going to go. And so he has been uh, really generous with, with the, uh, the amount of capital he's willing to commit to this. And he knew from day one that he wanted a big marketing uh, initiative. And so... Um, you know, we kind of did a little bit of a quiet launch back in September, and we sure. kind of saw where things went. We had launched, we knew, during school. School just started back up. And we kind of saw the game patterns and saw what the kids were doing and started doing a little bit of marketing. And, and by the beginning of that next year, man, we really started the TV blasts. And, you know, that's... I'm sure at this point we've spent at least as much or more on marketing than we did making the game. And... You know, the sad fact is most indie developers can't afford to do that. You know, you, you depend on either word of mouth or you got to go to a publisher to put up marketing money. It's tough. Well, what about viral marketing techniques now? I'm, I'm sure that there's probably some equivalent of the viral marketing techniques that you used before, but just, you know, a different type of format or a different type of thing. You know, maybe it's Facebook, maybe it's um, well, YouTube yeah. or something else. You know, the social networking sites are, are really good really good way to go. I mean, there's no there's no substitute for going out and, you know, kind of slapping palms and meeting people and talking about the game and, sure. and writing blogs and getting people jazzed about it. Um, 
but yeah, I mean, Twitter, you've got Twitter now, you can talk about the game. Yeah. People do blogs, the dev blogs, people read. Um, you know, you, you, uh, you've got Facebook, and you can do everything from blast out to everybody's friends about the game to, you know, it's not even too hard to write a little Facebook app yeah. or a Facebook game that, you know, ties back in. Yeah, in fact, I think there, there's actually a Facebook game called School of Magic that, uh, that has quite a few users, um, you know, along the same theme. Yeah, yeah, we've uh, we've looked at them. We've we've talked about developing our own Facebook app at some point. So, uh, you know, we, we really want to push down the viral viral avenue too. But I mean, really, you just have to meet people, get your name out there, go to the shows, you know. But really, get people to play your game. If you, sure. if you can make a quality product, it'll sell itself. And you know, so then, what are the current challenges you guys are facing uh, in terms of your game, and what's what's next? Well, the game is doing. Is doing really, really well. So that sort of is that is the question: is what's next? Congratulations! Yeah. Well, thanks. Um, you know, of course, we're looking at all the metrics and the numbers, and we want to tweak everything we've done so far. Um, and just like any game that's live, you want to make sure that you can grow the game, balance the game, expand the game without kind of screwing up what you've already done, yeah. which can be tricky. You know, because if 80% of your players like what you're doing and you change it for the 10% shoot yourself in the foot. Um, yeah, but the, I mean, in the future, are you going to have subscriptions and microtransactions coexist? Because it does seem like... I mean, I don't, I don't know how it's set up, but I mean, it seems somewhat paradoxical, and it could alienate one audience or the other. Um, no, I mean, it actually coexists now. The yeah. way that we, we have access to all of our content through micropayments. Okay. We set up an access pass system where players can kind of you know, it's it's a buffet of, of, of content. They they play along and they, you know, hit a point where they're ready to go to the next chapter in the story, and they can just purchase that for a little micropayment thing. Um, and it's worked out really pretty well. Um, I mean, of course, we would love for everybody to be a subscriber and a micropayment and kind of sure. you know make use of everything we offer. Um, but the real goal between offering subscriptions and micropayments was. Um, was kind of driven by that that uh, Webkins and, and Club Penguin yeah. uh, audience because we wanted to get the the, uh, the old school MMO player who's used to playing subscriptions and get that recurring revenue model. But we knew that the market was moving to micropayments, and so we figured let them let them pick which way they want to play. Um, you know, you guys mentioned the challenges of having live chat and uh, with kids. Do you guys then offer? chat or have you removed that from the game does it matter no we, we actually have um, it's, we have three different levels of chat in the game and, and being an indie company it's been a challenge because we've looked at the way other people have done this and the main solution that they've come up with is, is to throw people at it and, and we can't really afford yeah. to do that I mean if you go look at Club Penguin or one of those big companies they just moderate the hell out of their chat and you know, they have people online all the time, and if you say something inappropriate, there's a GM there ready to kind of snatch you up and put you in a bubble, uh, you know, to kind of protect the kids. And then there's a lot of other sites out there that just kind of pay lip service to being kid safe. Sure. They talk about it, but you can go in there and do whatever you want. And that's kind of, you know, parents, it's a little disturbing. I'm a, I'm a parent now, too, and so it's, it's a little bit scary. But we have three levels of chat in Wizard. We have... Um, we have a, a menu chat system similar to what Toontown had, where basically at the basic level, kids who are you know 13 and under can select phrases, pre-existing phrases from from a uh, from a menu, 
and talk that way. We have what we call filter chat, which is a really unique system. I don't think anybody else does this. Um, but we have a dictionary of safe words that we put in, which we call a whitelist. Sure. And then we have what we call the blacklist, and that's inappropriate combinations of those whitelist words. And this is something that's available to kids over 13. So they can talk all they want about the game, you know, common phrases are in there. They can say, hey, let's go to Unicorn Way and, and kill ghosts or whatever. And they can say words like, you know, hey, check out my robe or whatever. Yeah. I got a new wand, but they can't say, look under my robe, you know, things like sure. that. So phrases that are inappropriate are blocked out. Words that we like are, are good. And then for adults, and this is all through parental control, sure. um, we have unfiltered chat, which basically just goes through a profanity filter. So for people over 18 or for parents who want to set them down, we have open chat. I mean, do you think chat is even necessary? I mean, you now see these social games where they don't, they're just, it's more about interacting with friends in an asynchronous manner. Um, do you feel that chat adds a lot to your game or is it even needed? I mean, for an indie game developer to even think about having chat and having to moderate it, maybe it's not even necessary in the first place. What, what are your thoughts on that? You know, it's, it's, it's kind of, it's kind of tough. I could potentially see a model where you could do open chat with a small group of friends and maybe that would work. But, I mean, I, I play a lot of games. I play single player games and MMO games and whenever I go back and play like a really good RPG, you know, like, um, and it's not an online game, I, I really feel the lack of that. I really yeah. feel, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily go out of my way to socialize on online sure. games, but I like seeing people running around. I like knowing that there's, you know, tens of thousands of other people out there chatting and telling stories and talking about stuff. And, and I like the idea of, you know, kind of being able to show off my achievements to other people. So I think, I think that community is one of the things that makes these games so compelling. And yeah. not to say there's not some room to kind of experiment there, but you really need to be careful not to lose that. I think it's part of the magic. And, you know, you talked about microtransactions, you talked about subscriptions. Can you talk about some of the other game design mechanics that you've added to either enhance the community, enhance the gameplay, and engagement? Well, I mean, we've, we were really on kind of a tight schedule and a, and a small team when we launched the game. We wanted to get this game out in, in you know, three, three and a half years, and we wanted to keep our team size really, really small. You know, I look at some of these big AAA MMO guys out there who have 200 people on their team, and I'm like, wow, that's incredible. But, I mean, we tried to keep a team of you know, 30 to 50 people, something small, manageable. We ramped up a little bit in terms of QA. But what that meant was the only way to hit the date with that many people was you got to scope, you got to really cut back. And yeah. so anything, any system that we deemed not critical to the core gameplay, we put off. You know, we didn't launch with an auction house. We didn't launch with crafting. We didn't launch with mounts. We didn't launch with housing. There were a lot of really core systems because that wasn't, we felt like we could deliver the vision of the game without that and it was kind of critical to get out. So what we've done since is to go back and every three or four months we add one of those major systems back in. Um, and one of the recent milestones I think we put out back in, I want to say May, was uh, we upgraded a lot of our chat capabilities. We put in new chat windows. We put in the ability to have grouping and chat channels. And then one of the things that we'll, we'll try and add uh, next year is, is full-on guilds and 
guild banks and guild support and really build on that community. So we're sort of adding these features in as we go, and that's 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 a I think a good good way to do it, especially for an indie company. And do you have like weekly content updates, or is it every three or four months? How do you keep people wanting to come back? I mean, I mean, I, I've seen other MMOs actually send out stuff maybe every three days or every six days or seven days where they add just new content, new things that you can buy for a home or something else like that. Yeah, it really varies. I mean, some people are better at it than others. I mean, if you look at there are some games, like you said, that, that update once a month or every couple of weeks, and then you yeah. you know look at Blizzard, who updates every year. Or so, yeah. <laughs> um, and we're somewhere in between. We try and put out a major revision right now every every three or four months, um, and that includes content and new systems. Um, but we're still dealing with a relatively relatively small team, and so we have to do a mix of balance and bug fixing and, and new features. Um, and then the other interesting thing that sort of dif- differentiates us is is we're still at our heart a kids game yeah. and that means and we're a casual game and that means unlike other games I mean, like I, I just was playing champions yeah. and they had people hit max level in the pre-start and that's crazy they consume their content instantly and these are hardcore guys and they get in they play 20 30 40 hours a week whatever super hardcore we're not like that I mean we've sure. been uh, we've been out a year now, and we're just watching where the majority of our players are in terms of consuming our content. They're maybe halfway through what our stuff is. So and kids actually like to repeat stuff over and over kids again. Kids love so. repeat stuff, and you look at the play cycles. Like a typical MMO, um, you'll find your peak hours are starting basically when work lets out on West Coast, and they extend toward you know late night on East Coast. We, during the summer, at least, our peak starts about 9 in the morning and stays oh, wow. until about 9 at night. There is no <laughs> spike there. It's relatively flat. And wow. then we see that change back to more traditional during school because when kids get off school, they come play. So everything from average player session, I mean, number of times players get in per day, the, the time they spend consuming their content, these are things we've had to re-examine over time. And they affect your content strategy. So I could push really, really hard and put out a bunch of in-game content, sure. but that would really be for the 5 or 10% of our user base. Now, they're the vocal 5 or 10%, but, sure. and we have to help those guys out eventually. Um, but that's why, for example, our first major content update was a new world called Grizzleheim, and we made it span all the levels. It started early on, and you would go do a bunch of adventures, and then you would leave and come back and leave and come back, and it kind of spanned the whole cycle of the game um, to hit as many of our users as possible because that that bubble it's what we call the bubble of where the users are yeah. is still rising up and it hasn't kind of exhausted our content you know in terms of content releases that you've had what have been the most successful what i mean what do players respond to is it pets is it homes what uh you know players love the pets i gotta say They're, they are they are really really popular and uh, I'm, that's why our, our major feature we have coming out in uh, October is going to be mounts. And that, I think that's going to hit right in that same, you know, kind of got to catch them all, lots of cool pets and mounts sort of thing. Um, and we have an advanced pet system that we're working on that really fleshes out um, what all pets can do and sort of advancing and developing your pets. So that, of course, has been a huge seller. Um, I mean, anything cosmetic is going to sell. Pets in particular, I think, have a special place. Sure. And while you were developing your MMO, did you run into any scaling issues or any other development challenges? 
Um, probably the biggest one that we hit, um, which was a, really a good cautionary tale, is we knew that we wanted to hit the casual market, and there weren't that many real 3D games out there that had done that. Yeah. And so we went, and you know, we sort of said, "What do kids play on?" Well, they're going to play on mom and dad or older brothers' hand-me-down PC. Yeah. And so we went and did a bunch of research early on on kind of what min specs were out there and what kind of PCs were out there. And then we got all of the research back and we thought, okay, this is a good starting place. But then we realized, and this was a huge revelation on the part of Joseph, our, our uh, director of engineering, all this research was based on feedback from gamers. Yeah. And gamers typically have much more powerful, better rigs, even hand-me-down rigs, yeah. than your average guy is gonna have. And so we took what our research showed and then we stepped that back quite a bit so that we can run the game on integrated chipsets on video cards. We can run the game on a GeForce 2. You know, we don't, we lose some features, like we don't have advanced pixel shaders and things like that. But man, I mean, you can't, you can't come out with a casual MMO that's got bleeding edge system requirements and expect anyone to play it. Yeah. And we've really had huge feedback on that. You know, and it affected a lot of our development because we did, had to do stuff like you know, you hit a driver problem during development, a normal developer or a normal MMO would just say, well, screw it, you know, yeah. the, the user has to go upgrade their drivers. We had to program around that because we had to assume these users were never going to upgrade their drivers. They were never going to install their service packs. You know, they were going to be back on, you know, Win2K or ME or whatever. Yeah. And uh, that's continued to be a development issue from everything from MinSpec to making sure our download packages remain really tiny even though we're growing the content yeah. to I think the latest one is we've gone through to make sure we run on all the new generation of netbooks oh yeah because yeah. those are coming out I mean 300 bucks for PC your game better run on that if you want to be casual because that's what all the casuals are going to buy um, so what suggestions then do you have for other indie game developers who want to develop their own MMO online <laughs> you know really it's it's not just indie developers. Come up with your idea, figure out what your core gameplay is going to be, iterate it on until it's fun, until you're happy with it, sure. and then build the rest of it. And just keep your vision true to that, because if you try and do everything, if you try and go off in the weeds, if you worry too much about all these other systems or what you're providing, you know, you're never going to get there. So the best sure. thing is keep your game simple and keep it fun, and, and uh, it'll do fine. And um, what, what are the top five learning lessons that you've had throughout this whole MMO experience then, uh, or surprises? Oh, man. I think the, the scoping one is huge. You've got sure. to keep everything scoped. You've got to uh, you know, get your design nailed down. Don't go outside of it. Um, you know, remember who your audience is. That goes back to the casual market, the men's spec, all that stuff. Um, you know, number one lesson of MMOs, no matter big or small, content is king. Okay. You got to make sure you launch with enough content. I mean, we we kind of struggled with that, and uh, you know. And do you guys have inflation issues with your game, or is that even relevant? And how do you mean? Uh, inflation of the economy. Um, I don't know. People can can earn a lot of gold, <laughs> or I don't even know if that's an issue. Actually, you know? it's it's not an issue in the game, only because we've made a real point not to make it one. Okay. Um, we don't have real trading of items in the game. Cool. We, we have a very safe auction house mechanism, things like that. So I've done everything possible to keep gold sellers and, 
and uh, power of gamers and all that stuff are uh, you know, level sellers and those guys out of the game. And it's it's really been a struggle because people want those features, you yeah. know, but it's it's pretty bad when you have that kind of inflation going on. Great. And where can people find out more about the game and start playing it? Uh, Wizard101.com is the best place to start. You can get all the information there. You can download the game. Uh, you know, that's that's the best place to go. Thank you very much. Yep.